Bill Janishak on the Conquering Stress podcast. I am so excited and and relieved a little bit too because you know we've had a COVID series on this because I really wanted people to understand. We started oh guys six weeks ago or something, and I wanted to try to get you out because this podcast is all about getting you the tools in your toolbox to conquer stress. Like I said time and time again, here's my mantra: stress is physical, it's chemical and emotional. And the body reacts the same way no matter what is going on. Well, first and foremost, nowadays is, you know, we, we just have COVID everywhere because it's so impactful in our lives. And um, I actually stopped, I mean, most of the social media, uh, except for some cat videos and some bacon memes and some stuff like that, that we have to, that I, I need to get through my life uh, and saying hi to <laughs> people that I like. Um, but it reminds me of the, you know, the 2016 Olympic or Olympics uh, <laughs> elections that um, it just divides the country and it's just tough. So if you've been listening to this, you know that I love good conversations. We, we have to control our thoughts and our emotions in order to conquer the stress that's going in us. Sometimes when we get an idea or a paradigm of thinking, we get into a confirmational bias. And, and we need to step away from that. And it was real interesting because as I'm floating through looking for bacon memes and cat videos, um, I came across Christy Roberts and I'm like, who's this girl? I said, oh, she's nice, she's like that. And, and I started listening, I'm like, well, that's a good question. That's a question that I would ask. And all of a sudden, I just see her popping up in the meet, and she's doing all these lives, and she's, she's holding, and just a really good, solid thought process, because I haven't been on uh, social media just kind of going, I'm an essential worker, so I actually have a job still, so I, I don't have all day to be on, so I, but I, I checked her out, and I'm like, well, this is really interesting. I like the way that she came across the to a conclusion, or at least the questions. So I wanted to bring her here and try to get all this concise information. And uh, Christy, welcome. Thank you for showing up to the podcast and um, getting the platform. So I'm, you know what, instead of me just kind of go on, why don't you tell us your journey about this? Okay, well, thank you so much. Dr. Bill, I actually need to, I actually have it on my list to come in and get it adjusted, by the way. Well, that's good. It's good for your immune system. Episode mm -hmm. 17 or something like that. I love it. So, well, my name is Christy. I am a single mom of a 12-year-old boy here in Fountain Valley, right near Huntington Beach. And I, um, you know, just like everybody else in the country, have been paying attention to what's going on and have had a lot of questions. And like you said, you know, my background is to, um, my father was a news reporter and a, an investigative journalist, and he actually had a passion for research um, and for kind of like proving or disproving things that um, were commonly thought to be true or not true. And he would go out and dig around and look for truth. And he had a little kind of a side business as I was growing up that turned into a, a, a large business for him, um, kind of in that, Field. It was kind of, he had a website actually, it's kind of like Snopes. Um, and he hired me. I was one of his researchers for a while. So I have kind of a natural bent for research, um, as you mentioned, really taking kind of a logical approach to things. Um, 
especially something as important as what's going on right now. And obviously there's a lot of emotion as well. I understand that. And I do agree with you. Part of the ways that I have managed my stress um, has been to stand back and take a neutral um, kind of look at, at what's going on. And um, I mean, on day one of the, of the, of the quote unquote lockdown here in California, I woke up, I should say I woke up day two um, asking questions. What's going on? You know, what's, why are we at home? Why is my son not at school? So I think I kicked into the um, kind of the mode, the research and, you know, the investigative journalist mode that my dad modeled for me. He's no longer with us, but I know if he were here, he would be, um, he would be deep diving into all of this. You know, he was very good at remaining objective. Um, he was not a conspiracy theorist in any way. You know, he didn't believe anything he saw, read, or heard until he could really double check and triple check the facts, as a good reporter would do. So let me, let me just clarify. So when you started this, you did this out of curiosity, not confirmational bias. Correct. Yeah. And I still hold that stance. I mean, I definitely, of course, have my own bias, as we all do. Um, but I'm really passionate about finding the truth. I'm not um, interested in defending one position or defending a, any politician or any human being on the planet. I'm not. I, I have, to me, there's fundamental principles involved here. You know, of course, um, protecting human life, of course, you know, our constitutional rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, um, really fundamental, you know, our First Amendment rights, I mean, really fundamental concepts that don't change are inalienable rights. That's why they're, they're, they're given to us by God. Um, and I kind of start from there, you know, and I, I come at it um, with a lot of um, peace. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not scared. Um, I agree with you. I keep my state very calm as much as I can. I do a lot of things throughout my days to find happiness and joy. So, you know, when something comes along that disrupts the status quo and tell, you know, when, when I wake up on day two of the lockdown and I'm at home and my son's not at school and he can't play soccer, we had to cancel his soccer season. Of course, I'm starting to ask questions right away. Um, you know, at a young age, I was I was a, a teenager, you know, already very independent. I, I'm a very independent person. Um, so I don't really do well when, when other people try to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so there was already something going on inside of me day two of the lockdown, you know. And so, like I said, it kind of kicked in that part of me that wanted to ask questions. So that, that's awesome. So... Where do you start? I mean, do you, did you start with what's really a virus? Uh, have we had this before? What was your first plan of action where you said, hmm, let me Google this? Yep. So on day two, so day one was March 16th. That was the day that we were requested to lock down, which by the way, it was an order to heed. It wasn't a law. I want to make sure people understand that. So, you know, we can choose to um, surrender some of our civil liberties you know, to save millions of lives. That Which was appropriate. Which is yes. appropriate, yeah. Yes, and so for anyone listening that, you know, I, I have a huge heart. I, of course, didn't want millions to die, which is what we were told. So I chose to, you know, it was explained well enough that, that we needed to do this. I, under, you know, made enough sense to me, even though this is unprecedented. Um, but already by, take, like I said, day two, I woke up and for something felt very, um, kind of like my, 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 your spidey sense is going off. It's like, wait, this is weird. So the first thing I did on day two was I started researching the, the actual virus. I, I started as many stories as I could find of people who had it, because they already were posting um, stories from, you know, people over in Italy, um, you know, other countries. We, we didn't see a whole lot from China. We saw some, but of course we don't really know. But 
I just started researching. I watched as many doctors speaking about it as I could. There were already many commentaries. Um, I wanted to understand how did it play out in the body. Um, being a health coach, I, I wanted to understand how did it show up in the body. I wanted to know how I could protect myself and my son. I wanted to know who was at, at high, who was high risk for the virus. Um, so I spent that first week really researching the actual virus. You know, what does it do? How does it show up in the in, as far as illness? And what I found was. What was interesting was there were some textbook symptoms that were very consistent to every story. So I started kind of piecing it together and I noticed that after watching several doctors speak about it, that the virus had like a pattern. Um, and so, and then it had these specific symptoms, you know, that were pretty consistent, you know, high fever, even the fever seemed to land around like 102, 103. It, you know, when you hear 10, 20, 30 different commentaries, you kind of hear the same, I look for patterns. And I heard things like fever, dry hacking cough, extreme fatigue. And then in week two, it would often lead to breathing problems if somebody was, um, had, you know, already a compromised immune system or it would lead to the lungs. And that's where you see a lot of the really horrible disease show up, you know, and then I started thinking, wait a minute, you know, again, this is just reflection, but I started thinking not so funny because my, my son had something exactly like this in January you know, with the same symptoms. So that was the first thing that happened that first week was me going, that's weird. And then I, I actually posed the question on social media. And from that point on, I mean, hundreds and hundreds, of, I've had hundreds of conversations with people who, I mean, almost everybody in California, I mean, you can almost throw a, a dart anywhere in California, walk up to someone and say, did you have that weird thing in December that was going around that was being diagnosed as not the flu? So, you know, that's, that became a, a hypothesis for me. And again, for anybody listening, you know, I'm not attached to that. Um, we have no way to prove it until it's proven. But I started that first week or two, I started to develop a, a question mark of like, wait a minute, did this already come through <laughs> California? It's, you know, whole school, my son, 30% of my, 20% uh, of my son's school was out with some weird, you know, mysterious thing that had all the same symptoms. Um, so that's kind of little one kind of like leg into the journey that, that kept me busy for a week or two, because my next question was, well, I'm sure that we need to know like who's had this already. I'm sure we need antibody tests. You know, that became like my immediate question. I spoke to a woman in, uh, Arizona who was a, from a town of 1500, 1500 population. And she said it went through her whole town in December. And she said, yeah, a lot of people had breathing problems. Some of us ended up with, you know, um, what is it called when you have uh, asthma and you take a breathing COPD? <laughs> inhaler? Well, inhaler, yeah. Yeah, lots of breathing treatments. You know, a couple of them ended up on ventilators. This is, uh, again, the woman in Arizona. And she said, you know, it was it, it kind of took us out for a while. It was like nothing we'd ever experienced. But she said it literally went through her whole town. So, again, this is anecdotal. I get that. Mm -hmm. uh, not saying, you know, I, I, I've noticed. So I take more of like a scientific, you know, in the scientific a method you can present a hypothesis and you can then do research and see if your data proves or disproves it um and i kind of took that approach you know let's kind of dig around and see because again my next question was if the antibodies are already circulated through california remember it showed up on in the united states it showed up in washington first and the west coast um it was january 20th yeah wow. first confirmed case in the united states was january 20th and by this point, we're talking, this was March 17th, so almost two months later. And remember, we were being told it was 
highly, highly, highly contagious, spreads really fast, spreads really fast. So I'm like, well, what's it been doing for the past eight weeks, you know? So that was kind of the first couple weeks of my journey. Well, that's, that's pretty interesting on, um, on, on how you came to that. So you, you're just kind of getting these spidey senses, like you said, and you start going, going on and on. And you're just picking up research and going, huh? So how did you start looking and, and seeing that may, maybe the, uh, so the projections and my bent is, okay, they were way off. That's obvious, yeah. but that's okay because we've got to, we've always, in during stress, we always got to prepare for the, hope for the best, prepare for the worst mm -hmm. and test it, see how it comes out. So first thing it was, this is going to kill two, two million people. Then it was 200,000. And so what was your next step when you started coming back? I said, all right, what you're yeah. hearing. And again, like you said, that, that's great. You have these intuitions, but right. we're not experts in virology or epidemiology or statistics or anything. So, but enough in, enough education to to ask a question say it's like a first-term student so, well yeah this doesn't make sense this doesn't what was your next question that you you yeah. looked at great question so when i was growing up i used to read encyclopedia brown and nancy <laughs> drew yeah nancy drew night encyclopedia brown and what i loved about those books even though they were you know kids books is they did they do a lot of question asking and that's what i was like i said okay i'm just going to keep on this journey and i started putting the questions on social media and i was very surprised how many people were threatened by the questions um it didn't bother me i didn't take it personally but um it was fascinating that's like a whole different topic is the social experiment of this mm -hmm. um the the i i grew up learning critical thinking skills from an early age um all through my academic career, my, my family, we were critical thinkers. I was encouraged to think for myself and I've surrounded myself with people like that. So it was new for me to pose some of these questions on social media and have a lot of anger and um, a lot of emotion. And you know, it, it took me a couple of weeks to realize that it was fear. You know, I didn't realize that because I did not feel afraid and I haven't felt afraid this entire time. So if there's anything that comes out of this, I do hope that I could, and I have become a voice on my social media um, for people you know, to keep, um, to, for that, for that exact, um, kind of concept is, um, to, to really continue to, to, to stay in as much knowledge as possible so that we don't have to live in fear. And I totally agree a hundred percent about the whole point of this podcast, which is, which is, is, you know, stress. So anyway, back to, so by week two or, and three of this, I'll tell you there was, um, this is not, um, getting into any sort of conspiracy theories at all. So, you know, just to disclaim it, <laughs> but there was a commercial. With your I mean, well hat aside. Okay. We're yeah. there. Yeah. And for anyone listening that be reassured, I come at this with no, um, there's no conspiracy theory behind what I'm sharing. I'm literally taking everything at face value, you know, at this point, I mean, of course I have my thoughts, ideas, and opinions, but I don't, I don't, I also know how to keep it about the facts, you know, um, somewhere in week two, week, week two, there was a, an, an article, um, a news article about the apocalyptic deaths that were happening in New York city. They used, and it was a big article, apocalyptic, and there was a really kind of troubling picture with it of a nurse holding up a, she was doing a selfie and behind her was a refrigerator truck. 
And that was a very impressionable article. And I will tell you, um, Dr. Bill, that that was really what set me down the road of like, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a lot more questions we need to be asking because here, here's why. We were being told at that time, still we were being told that, that millions and or hundreds of thousands would die, which is why we agreed. So I consider that like on a scale of one to 10, we were being told the catastrophe would be like a 10 or a 12 or a 20, right? So we took these extreme lockdown measures that we would order under ordinary circumstances we would never agree to. And on, on literally week two, we were already being told by the news that it was apocalyptic and that that it almost like it offended my, my senses, okay? Because I know, based on what we were being told, that it was going to become apocalyptic, right? We, we were told we were gonna hit hundreds and thousands of deaths. And I found it interesting that on week two, they were already using that word. And that was the tip off to me. Because what it, when you read the article, it said 12, you know, 12 um, people had passed that night in the hospital and they used that they used apocalyptic with that word. And again, rest in peace, you know, God bless the people who, who lost their lives at night. You know, um, I mean, I lost my dad and I know what it's like. I mean, this was, you know, years ago, but ironically on my dad's last night of his life, I was with him in the hospital and he was having a hard time breathing. And I had to advocate for him to have a breathing machine. So I could Im immediately put myself in the shoes of these people. But, but nevertheless, um, I felt there was a manipulation, you know, and I'm not even pointing, I, I, this is not me pointing fingers at any one person or even at the people who wrote the articles. I'm just saying, let's just take all the judgment away and just say that was not an apocalyptic moment. Okay. So I already by week two started to say red flag. <laughs> and so that just led me to more questions. So this, the next couple of weeks, what I did was I really watched the reporting of the numbers. I also happened to be a numbers person. Um, I was a statistics nerd in, in college. I got an A plus in my statistics class. And I only share that to say that I really, really, really love numbers. And my concern was, and to this day, my concern is how they present the data is very manipulative. Again, I'm, in, I'm not pointing fingers. I will assume, I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I'll assume that whoever's presenting the numbers to the world doesn't understand math, okay, or doesn't understand statistical analysis. Well, so which is, that, it's common because stats, stats was a, a class that drove me crazy at first because it's yeah. not always with, you You know, you have your T-scores and everything else that kind of go, goes in. So it, it is, and then there's how to lie with statistics um, yes. that comes out a lot as well. So yeah, and most people do not know about statistics. Yes. They read and that's the what line I, and that's it. That's why we got some great laws in this state because we read the highlight the headlines and that's it. And that's why I and I found that I was immediately this now we're moving into like week two and three. I was immediately baffled by how the numbers were being presented. They were clearly inaccurate but I was amazed at how many people when I tried to explain it didn't understand. So to keep it really simple, the best way I can explain it for anybody listening is, and this is like virology 101. I mean, I am not an expert, but just by studying a virus for one hour online, you learn that there's a lot of people who have it or are infected with it, many of whom can be asymptomatic. And then there's this many people who die from it. Okay, and this is, you know, I mean, as basic as it gets. So this is how you determine death rate. 
okay? But what's interesting is they were not, they were not testing these people. They've only been testing these people and then this many people are dying. So you have this enormously high death rate. You're saying a lot of, you know, we're testing, let's say 5,000 people and, you know, 2,500 of them died. That's, that's kind of the message that was out there right from the beginning. And then occasionally you would hear the experts, um, Dr. Burks, you know, occasionally Dr. Burks would, and again, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, you know, but occasionally the doctors with Trump would mention this. It's like one time Burke said something about there's an iceberg, maybe, you know, maybe we're at the tip of the iceberg, but it was, it, I could see the fear. So, so to keep it simple, I could see where that's where the fear started to come was the, these enormous fatality rates, 12%, 9%, you know, 4%, like these huge numbers that they threw around for a long time. And they just never mentioned that, oh, by the way, there's probably millions of people out there that have this already. And we're just seeing the worst cases at the hospital. Instead, every article for literally the past six weeks, seven weeks now has been focusing on these extreme cases and creating so much insane fear in people. Um, I, I'm, I'm absolutely stunned by it. Stunned. So, and I'm sure you know this, I, I research, you know, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala, which yes. I'm sure you, yes. Yes, we talk about that a lot here. Okay. So I, 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 I use the phrase amygdala hijack. You know, I, I saw, I, I saw a whole country who was so arrested by fear that they, their fight or flight kicked in and logical thinking went out the window. And because I wasn't in amygdala hijack, I've been able to look at it objectively. So we'll get, I'll get to the point of what we've, what I've landed on, but that was, that was my first couple of weeks. And then I will say somewhere in that third week, um, there was an interview, you know, the White House uh, uh, press meeting and somebody asked Dr. Fauci about the antibody tests. And I was sitting in my, I was in my, I was cooking watching this news clip and I was overjoyed that, okay, yay, they're going to finally get to the antibody test. You know, I have, we have hundreds, I have literally thousands of anecdotal stories either on my newsfeed or there's another gentleman that was asking the same question about, do you think maybe you had this, you know, and I remember Dr. Fauci saying, oh, you know, we don't really need to worry about that right now. <laughs> we don't need to worry about the antibody test. And I will leave that for your, your listeners. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep this as neutral as possible because I really don't, I'm not pointing fingers. That's not the point of this. Nor am I, nor am I trying to come up with really like what's behind everybody's thought process here. But that was a huge red flag. That was another question mark to me because I couldn't, I'm, I mean, I'm a lay person and I'm like, when are we going to get the antibody tests? Obviously millions of people have this for, this many people to be dying, this many people have probably been infected. When are we gonna find out how much this has already spread so that we could find out? Because here's the implication of that. If it, let's just say for the West Coast, it had been spreading for eight weeks, which, it, which we know the data, we know it was here January 21st. That is proven, okay? Lockdown happened on March um, 16th. That's proven, these are facts. That's eight weeks that it had to spread on the West Coast. This is proven. Nobody can dispute this. And we are told that it's highly, highly, highly contagious. That's basically so far been proven. All right. So I'm, I'm over here 
wondering when we're going to connect the dots on that. When are we going to run antibody tests all over the West Coast and find out that, oh, look at how many people have already had it. Most people, it's pretty mild. Um, all these people can go back to work. Like it could have been done week one if there were antibody tests, which according, I've been told that there weren't, which I found really strange because it had been floating around China for weeks, months. So do you have any questions about that point? Well, no, I think that those are great, great questions. And then on one of the things is like when Fauci was talking about, said we're really not worried about the antibody tests right now. Um, did he give any reasons why? Because maybe they were just focusing on the, the, the catastrophe and just trying to, to take care of the, the damage. Um, yes. I, I wrote down what he said. That is true. He said, um, I'm trying to think here. I wrote it down. Anyway, yeah, I mean, that was kind of his point was, well, we'll get to it later. That would be good data to have later. It's not a high priority right now. And my, my take on it was, okay, he's the, again, I'm not judging him. I'm just, this is purely like logical. Like if I were sitting in the room with him right now, I would be saying to him, okay, but you're the expert. This is, this is your one job, okay? You've done this for 30, 40 years. I don't know how long he's done this. He's, he's a, um, this is his specialty. Infectious disease is his specialty. And I just, I would basically be saying to him, you can't, you can't, you know, I would think he could handle the crisis and just, you know, um, activate another department to get the antibody test going right away. Like there's enough people in the country to probably do both. And instead, and he didn't, he didn't say, yes, that's urgent. Yes, we're on it. Yes, I've, um, you know, I've activated a team or I mobilized a team. Yes, we need to know how many people have been infected. Yes, we believe maybe millions already have. Yes, there's a lot of people that's what happens with the virus. You know, there's probably a lot of asymptomatic people. Yes, we're only treating right now, you know, Fauci's dealing with this crisis here, right? The people that are, that are high crisis, which is important. But I just, just, I couldn't quite buy that he couldn't do both. Yeah. So that, it was just- no, that, that's, that's very interesting. But those are the questions that, that we, we want to come up is like, you know, during a war, are you taking care of, is like a mass unit. You're, you go, okay, we want to take care of these critical people. But then again, his job isn't really to take care of people because he's the academic. Right. Kind of, he's like the quarterback or the general. We need to do this. This is where it's coming from. And he's the, the director. Because I said, I look at this, um, you know, I've learned about viruses and things like, like that. And it's just enough to have questions. One of the... Um, the things that I had going on through this whole thing was just, you know, every time they would have some, it got political and it was almost like they were holding back information, just like you were putting the, you go, well, you said this, but then this happened. Shouldn't yeah. we adjust the plan? Or if we yeah. don't, why aren't we? And it, I don't think it was ever clearly communicated to the people. And um, sometimes I get, I get a, a little, um, 
I get a little frustrated with elitism in the fact that, and I believe in elitism because I don't think everybody should be, I don't think we should vote, you know, we should have the plumber, the data, data entry clerk and the high school student have the same weight on a, um, on a subject. But at the same time, if you make a decision that's gonna affect everybody, you say, okay, we're gonna do this. This is my suggestion because I'm an expert and here's why, do you, is there any questions? And then that should satisfy some people. Some people may have right. deeper questions, you say, yeah. and it should be to the point that that information, especially in the United States of America, totally transparent. Yes. And if when, yeah, when there's when there's questions like, <clears throat> all right, it was two million, then two hundred thousand, and then now it's mostly the elderly, immunocompromised. Right. Are we pivoting? And, right. And the whole flatten the curve thing. I, <clears throat> I like you was going. Um, I don't get this, but I'm going to go along with it because it's, this looks like a big deal and it's, you know, right. out of my lane to have a good solid opinion. But I was just like, okay. And I listened to them for a while and I kept waiting for the mm -hmm. explanation Yep. and the new data and then the conflict data. And I'm like, this is weird. So what was, what was the next step? I mean, did, did you just start yeah. seeing, like inconsistency, inconsistency, inconsistency. Yes, yes. And I, you know, I reserve judgment. Like I said, I, I do my best to, with, to withhold judgment. I, I'm not somebody who's going to jump on. I mean, what I did, you can go back through my, new, my, my Facebook news feed and, and you can see the day I said, wait a minute, why is Dr. F I literally posted, is Dr. Fauci on our side? I was so confused. <laughs> so I did a lot of question asking, but I, even to this day, I, I, I hold a lot of space for, um, I don't have the corner on truth. You know, I'm just asking a lot of questions and I do, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of like, let's kind of follow that rabbit trail and see what turns up. But I don't jump to conclusions until I've done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of research. So anyway, that, that was a huge question mark. I did find the quote. Um, he did say that basically um, he, he definitely downplayed the antibody test. It was really interesting. He was like, you know, at some point that information will be important. But, I, but, then, he, but then somehow he went right back into vaccination talk. It was very interesting. So that later that week now, we're moving into week three, week four, um, I stumbled across a video from an um, a, um, epidemiologist um, his name was Dr. Witowski. And what I found interesting about this man is, have you heard of him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen okay. some stuff from him. Yeah. And what I, what I found interesting from him, just in a nutshell, was he had a totally different take on the whole point of the lockdown. He had a different take on this you know, virus and why we would do a lockdown or why we wouldn't. And I appreciated the fact that he, you know, he was um, kind of a, he was a, you could tell he was highly qualified highly qualified and you could tell he was a little shy he wasn't trying to do this to benefit himself in fact anybody coming out at this point disputing the main you know the main stream narrative is, is risking yeah. their career and he really made me stop and think i watched his video probably two or three times because he seemed to really understand respiratory disease he understood the numbers his general i'll just nutshell his general concept was um you know 
most people are not even um, at risk, you know, for this to be de uh, deadly nor even difficult. And that, of course, the children should remain in school and the children have almost a 0% death rate. And of course, we protect the high risk and the vulnerable. And he just had a lot of like, of course, this is what we do. So that was good for me because it kind of it kind of rocked my world. You know, because I had already spent a couple of weeks now being told that the way we were doing it was the right way. And anybody who's hearing this is probably having like cognitive dissonance right now. Yes. I had a, what? No, I said yes. I mean, I, I will see that a lot because we're like, well, how could this happen? Yeah. Yeah. Like I couldn't even really wrap my head around what he was saying. It's funny because I went back and watched that video uh, three days ago and it was like, oh yeah, like it, it made perfect sense to me. But the first time I watched it, we're talking, it was second or, you know, week two or three of this lockdown. So that put a lot of questions in my head about, I started to be able to look objectively at the actual virus. We had a lot more data. Um, I was I was looking at the New York City uh, stats every single day. They have a very detailed, I mean, you can go, anybody can go to their website, their, their detailed stats. And I was seeing this pattern where 99, and I would do all the calculations, 99% of the deaths in New York City were um, very, very sick individuals over the age of 65 or 75. Very, very sick individuals. People who had multiple illnesses in their bodies. Um, you know, cancer and diabetes and, um, you know, people that were very ill already. And healthy people were a, were, were less than a, uh, were like 0.97%, less than a percent of the deaths in New York City. And that has been consistent pretty much, I check it multiple times a week. It's been consistent. So that was, again, week two, week three, I started realizing, okay, so I'm not at high risk for this and neither is my son. Okay, that was helpful for me to understand. That again, now again, what I was getting from mainstream media was a lot of fear. Unfortunately, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, like you said, they weren't, they weren't reassuring people. They weren't, there, like you said, there wasn't a lot of like follow up with the data. It was kind of like this whole like huge death rate, huge death rate, you know, there was a lot of that. So. Again, for anybody listening, you know, I think that that my my maybe my whole point is, you know, I want to explain why I haven't been afraid. I haven't been in fear. So um, that's what I got from Dr. Witowski was basically how a lockdown could be handled differently. And then we were seeing Sweden and they were actually doing what he was saying. And they were at that time starting to have success. You know, I, I have a question for you. Yeah, I think this is a good one for, for people going around because you mentioned cogn um, cognitive dissonance. I can't even pronounce it. Maybe I should edit these things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and confirmational bias because sometimes yeah. when we get on something and we see it on, I always look at things as a giant bell curve because on one end of the bell curve, you get people that are never going to change their mind. On the other one, right. Exact opposite, it doesn't matter. You know, you could have Jesus come back right away and say, oh, we're all good to go. And people say, right. no, and it doesn't matter. So this is the problem because sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll hear something and there's a lot of, you know, with social media thing going on, you have all these opinions and things and sometimes they look like facts and they look like, and you go, huh, and it makes sense. And then you go behind the curtain and you're going like, oh, I didn't know this is how you calculated a 
a burn rate or a death rate or so, something right. where you get a little bit more into the weeds and the specialty. How do you qualify in your mind an expert? I mean, so yes. uh, when, you, when you're looking at, you know, there's several, several uh, epidemiologists and people that came out and said things contrary to Fauci. Yes. Bricks and things, which is okay because you've got to have that that open discussion. Like I said, we should be transparent and whatever. Right. And um, how do you in your mind go, okay, this is a real expert or this is somebody that I should um, maybe, maybe they can bring something up just like this podcast. It's like, we're not trying to prove anything, but, but maybe right. there's some questions and maybe it's, it's, it's like, Christy, damn girl, you're wrong. How could you even think of that? Because right. this is how it is in reality. And my right. favorite thing is to go back and go, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, maybe I'm going to, I'll have to pivot there in order so yeah. we can get to reality or truth or whatever. So what do you look for in someone that you would listen to? So this goes back to my training for my father. So my father also was a, a radio talk show host and he had a career, a 30 year career where he interviewed experts on his program kind of like you know you're doing with me but i'm not the, i'm not an expert <laughs> but he would you know actually bring so i learned how to kind of size people up so like if somebody has something to say about this virus i'm going to listen i'm going to listen i'm going to size them up i'm going to ask questions and i'm going to critically listen or critically think as i'm listening so because i was taught how to critically think i'm not afraid to listen to anybody okay i'm not afraid to listen to anybody's point of view i don't have any fear i'm willing to kind of keep that person separate from me and just listen to what they have to say and then what i do is i it's probably a kind of an intuitive thing i size them up i do things like i look at body language um, i'm very big on body language that's why I love that we can see a lot of this, um, you know, with YouTube, we can watch a lot of these quote unquote experts. Um, I, I look for data and I look for facts. So it's a little bit of the subliminal um, intuitive process for me. And then, you know, a lot of it is, of course, the data and the facts. Um, so I'm following the breadcrumbs that point me to the truth. And I have to say there, you mentioned something really important just now about being able to pivot. I don't have an ego in this game. I really, so that's one thing my dad taught me. I don't have an ego. I'm not um, attached, so attached to any one theory or principle or philosophy or concept that I would be threatened if I had to turn on a dime. So like, for example, let's say there's a politician I really believe in. I, I believe in that politician's policies. And let's say we found out, you know, today that that politician was a terrible crook and had, you know, done terrible things and like stolen billions of dollars from, you know, our country. I'm not the kind of person who would continue to defend that, that person. Like I would say that person needs to be held accountable. So I'm not, I don't have a, um, it's really interesting because most people can't hold space for this kind of neutrality. And so there's a lot of people get very threatened if you have a question or have an idea because they think that you're married to the idea. And I've had to say this multiple times on social media, like, what about this theory? 
And then when people attack it, I'm like, or they attack me for it. I make them, I, I have to reiterate, I'm not married to this theory because I, I approach it from a scientific point of view, you know? Um, and with the scientific process, you have to come in with a hypothesis and you identify your goal, your purpose, and then you look for the data. And your data either validates your hypothesis, either proves or disproves it, or you have to do more research. Um, and again, that's part of my degree and my, my, that, that's part of my background. Well, so, that, so that's an interesting thing because one of the things when we go in, because I wanted to, to go back about your, your process for critical thinking, because, you know, there's the academic thing where we're breaking down, the, there's five branches of philosophy that we can break down. Here's a thought. Does it look like that? And so it's very academic, but in the field, when we're doing this, and you mentioned, you know, body language, data and facts and, um, how they come out and, and, and sometimes there's an intuition. And I think this is what's really beautiful about what you do is you have that. Then we have to go back because sometimes we'll get people that, um, absolutely are congruent with what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so their body language is no, of course it's alien beings. Right. Because there's gray aliens and there's long ones and you've seen ET. So that's proven. And then you go back on and then there's, there's, they've built a straw man and they are so congruent. You almost actually want to believe them because you're like, wow, I wish I had that <laughs> decisiveness in my life because that is just so cool. And um, when we get that done, then you have to look at, again, let's look at data, which is cool. Right. Again, then you have to know how to look at data because, you know, oh, the average person, is that a mean? Is that a modal? How, what kind of average are we looking at when, when we're doing this? And is that true? And then, oh, there was a study done. And this is what, you know, it drives me crazy sometimes because like, oh, there was a study that showed. And then you look at, well, that's a very poor done study. Or right. you find out later that, oh, yeah, that study was um, was paid, bought, and paid for beforehand right. <laughs> by the interesting party that wanted the outcome that they had. And there was actually a study. I think it was in JAMA that that said that there was like sixty percent of the academic papers used as proof uh, was they were flawed. There there was. Right. Uh, uh, bias in those starting out with. And so now we can't even hold that as face value. So I wanted to ask you that question because again, this, this discussion that we're having isn't about coming to to your conclusion. I want people to know the process because, um, so that they can work it out so they can, they can say, you know, uh, you know, gray aliens. Oh no. Okay. Now step back. Let's use Christie's process on that. Yes. You saw the alien. Was it really gray? Was it just light blue? Uh, was it, you know, yeah. a dolphin on, on, on the beaches? Poor dolphin. Um, so I just wanted to get that part. And I think that's beautiful. So your next step in your journey was uh, what? You know, real quick, I wanted to throw something in. I realize there's two more things I do with critical thinking. Um, I look for patterns. Awesome. So, so if one specialist says something about this virus, 
I'm not just going to take that one person's point of view. I'm going to go look for as many people or experts that, that might have the, I, I'm going to go look, for, I'm going to go study as many experts. And again, we have the benefit of YouTube and a lot of people might discount YouTube, but I look for just to throw this in, I'm looking for the guy who's been in his field for two or three decades. You know, you can kind of pick the, they're a little nerdy, you know, they don't really know a lot about any other part of the process. They just focus like this epidemiologist I'm talking about. He's a really, really, really good epidemiologist. Um, a little quirky, a little nerdy. He has a whole long list of credentials. The guy's been in his field for a long time. And what, a really key thing I'm looking at is, is he getting paid to say what he's saying, you know? So that's another thing I do in this kind of strange era of research. Um, but I look for patterns, so I'm not just going to listen to him. I'm going to look for a bunch of epidemiologists that are kind of nerdy, that really don't want to speak up, that are, a, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just, how many of these people, what are these people all saying? There's epidemiologists all over the world. So what are they saying? Your criteria when you're looking at an expert is making sure they have no lunch money and wedgie stains? Yes. <laughs> because we know, and you know, I'm never going to discount somebody. This is one thing I've noticed. I'm never going to discount somebody because mainstream media says to discount them. You know, I'm the kind of person, nobody's going to tell me what to think or, and nobody's going to decide for me. Um, usually it's the person, it's kind of like that nerd that nobody, that, that somehow is being um, discredited you know, there's almost like anybody who is getting discredited right now, I'm looking going, maybe it's because they're saying something important. So again, that's a part of my process, but I don't ever assume anybody is right. Just so you know, I'm just, I'm just doing a bunch of research. Um, and one other thought with critical thinking is to, to, to reserve your emotion. That's my other, I realized a lot of people. So it does take us some, some certain amount of emotional intelligence, meaning I can listen to people's thoughts, ideas, and opinions, and I don't have to react emotionally to them. If you can do that, you're going to get through this process. You know, I know that's tricky, but. Yeah, um, we've, we've covered a lot of that on, on the podcast because that, that is, that is a driver before that you have, there's two emotions that actually make people move in fear and anger. And right. those are always topping emotions that usually cover um, a variety of things, you know, hurt, sadness, and some other things that we have to get. So when we, somebody leans in with aggression, yeah. we have to see why are they angry or what are they fearful? About. Right. So if, exactly. we're not fear, if we're not fearful of, of the answer on the other, said, so what if it is gray aliens? I'm right. Going, you know what? I will make a great pet on Mars probably because, you know, you know, I can cuddle and, and I'll <laughs> or whatever else that's going on there. Right. You're not fearful of the, of the outcome, you know, cause I always, the thing is bloom where you're planted. We want to have our, we want to be the best versions of ourselves that we want to strive to, to maximize our human and spiritual potential for the happiness of ourselves and people, people around us but that doesn't have to be right here. If the truth or our journey takes us over there, then we bloom over there because we take our heart, our soul and our health right. with us. So I, that's why panic and fear. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not down with fear and panic. So I digress. Tell me your wonderful story, the rest of your wonderful story. Okay.
So what was interesting about war, war was when we were being told that there would be extreme death. Um, we were told, was saying this is going to be a that would make sense if you studied the verse. All right, hold Can on. Our bandwidth is getting great. Okay, there you go. Okay. Um, week four was when, you know, when you study the virus, um, that would have been the week that anybody who was infected before the lockdown, okay, that's when the most deaths would have happened. So um, according to multiple experts, around day 25 is when, the, is when from, from date of infection to date of death, All right, unmute yourself. We just had a little technical difference. There you go. Is that is that me or is that you? I have I no idea, but I'm gonna, okay, go ahead and try that. Okay, because I can go ask my son to hop off Wi-Fi if you think it's me. I don't know, so okay. let's rock with it. We're good now. We're good, okay. So week four was, again, the week where most death would have happened for anybody who was infected before the lockdown. So. Um, and that's what they were telling us was that it would be terrible. So again, in California, at that point, um, not only did that not happen. So again, we're just looking at the data for anybody who's listening. This is where people tend to get emotional. So I'm just trying to stick to the facts. That week in California, we had reached maybe, we have 40 million um, people in California. That's our population. And we had reached maybe 600 deaths that week, by the end of that week. So that that was more data for me, kind of more like interesting. This is making me ask more questions. Where did all the death go that was supposed to happen from? And people were saying, well, it's because our lockdown, we've done a great job with our lockdown, our social distancing. So I kind of had to educate people, no, this is the week that most of the death would have shown up from people who were infected before the lockdown. But that somehow got overlooked because there was so much focus on New York City, right? And so a lot of the, there was like kind of a lack of conversation about what was happening in California. But, and that was more of on a, kind of on a side note, that was more proof to me, um, my theory that it had actually come through California previously. <clears throat> um, and that we were no longer dealing with a problem. Um, but that was the week that instead of having like a horrific number of deaths around the country, um, they actually changed their models. So instead of the 250,000, that's the week that they, um, that they changed, the White House changed their models or their projections to 60,000 deaths. So that was significant to me on this journey because that's the week that the catastrophe, you know, was, you know, remember the scale, scale of one to 10, the catastrophe at the beginning of this was like 12, you know, or 20. That's the week the catastrophe went down to like basically estimated death of, of a, a death fatality rate of the flu, or excuse me, death counts of the flu. So that's the week I was thinking, okay, great, they're going to change our response from, you know, a, a response to a catastrophe, scale of 1 to 10 being a 15. I assumed that was the week that they were going to then say, okay, catastrophe is now at a seven or a six, we're going to change our response to a seven or a six. But ironically, the next two weeks, that's when, like, I mean, the, like, insanity started with, it, they, like, doubled it down on the lockdown measures. And I, that's, you know, at that point, I started shifting in my approach to, okay, I'm no longer worried about 
you know, or I'm no longer in like um, a state of learning about the virus. I feel very, very clear on like, the, and that's when all of the antibody tests started, by the way. All these reports came out about the antibody test, which I could talk about that for another hour. But the long and short of it is the antibody test did verify what I initially thought. But I now have, just so you know, I have, I think, 14 or 15, 14 antibody tests. Um, I have them all in a document that, that have been done up to this point around the world. Um, and they all said the same thing, which is that exactly what we thought. I don't think this is going to be a visual, right? But um, no, you know, have you seen me? You don't want to. Do, we we don't do that. So say that again. I said, have you seen me? We don't. We don't. We don't do this. <laughs> Well, I'm basically holding my hands up really, really far apart and saying, you know, sure enough, the antibody studies started to show as they, as the studies came, the numbers came rolling in. And again, it wasn't just one because there's always room for error, right? Um, there were multiple studies coming in and saying the same thing, which is that there were, you know, millions already infected in the United States. Um, you know, up to 50% are asymptomatic, don't even know they have it. Um, you know, there were millions that already had the antibodies. So I was... You know, any last question marks I had about the virus, I mean, I still don't know if it came through in December. That's a totally different, I have, I have a lot of reasons why I think that's the case, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the reality is there were two studies in um, California that did show millions had been infected and, and antibodies were here. So I kind of moved from, okay, I understand the virus. I understand I'm not high risk. I understand who is high risk in my life and in the world. I understand, you know, um, Oh, I, I studied a lot about like um, um, how people were being treated. So I had an idea of, okay, if my son or I did get this virus, if we haven't already had it, how would I want to be treated? What would I do about it? I studied that for a while. I studied prevention. I'm very big on the immune system as I know you are. I got really clear on that. You know, it's not hard to kind of like, again, look for patterns, look at all the data. Don't just jump on one thing, use your critical thinking skills. And I kind of developed a little plan which I'm gonna mention in a minute, but I basically developed like a kind of an exit strategy for quarantine for myself and my son, which is called personal responsibility. So, <clears throat> but the week that they did the kind of week four was when they, they started kind of going crazy with the doubling down. And that's when my mindset shifted from, okay, now this is no clearly not actually about a virus. We have enough data. And that's rolling into week five, um, which was, Let's see, what are we in April? Now we're kind of getting closer to present day. Um, yeah, like, in the, like last week, um, you know, watching kind of what started happening politically, um, various governors with their kind of dr extreme draconian totalitarian responses that are completely <laughs> unconstitutional. Um, and, you know, at, what's interesting on a side, kind of a side note, um, and again, this is not pointing fingers. So for anybody who, who I'm not pointing fingers at all, but there was a, a media tour at the same time in the past, um, probably I'd say three weeks of Bill Gates, um, along with several other, probably say two or three other voices that were going on and on about, we won't get back to normal till we have a vaccination. We won't get back to normal till we have the vaccination. And that was concerning because I watched the video and it, you know, again, uh, taking a neutral stance, I watched his interview and his thought process was very concerning to me because he almost had, he had inaccuracies in his thought process. And again, I kept thinking like, okay, this person's the expert, <clears throat> you know, and he, at the same time that we were hearing, we won't get back to normal until there's a vaccination, which is what even some of the governors were saying in the past two weeks. You know, we're watching Sweden who didn't do a formal lockdown. They did make many modifications, but they didn't do a formal lockdown. We're watching Sweden who's, you know, 
they're almost to uh, they're almost through the, the peak and the, and, and the other side. They're almost to enough herd immunity, enough herd immunity that they'll be able to go out and about. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a couple of states, there were actually eight states, I think, that didn't lock down. They just, the dad, they, they didn't, um, they didn't um, practice like the extreme draconian um, measures that we did. And at the same time, we're seeing these, this other voice, these other voices that are going on and on and on about, how we're not going to get back to normal until we have like the whole world vaccinated. And I'm, I'm not making that up. That's actually a quote. So, you know, that led me to, um, long story short, you can ask me questions about this, but last Thursday I took my son and I off quarantine and I posted about it on social media. Um, I have my, I kind of wrote up a little, um, almost like a philosophy statement as to why I made that choice. And it's been shared many times and, you know, some people have been thrilled and love what I wrote. They, they, they've been thankful. Some people have really struggled with it. There's been a lot of emotional, you know, um, no. responses. No. Really? Yeah. So that's so, where we're at today. So, so I got a couple questions. So one of the things that with uh, Sweden, we were, we were to watch them because I too have had conversations online uh, with People that know that have different opinions, and and this was a couple of weeks ago, and said, "All right, was um, watch Sweden. Let's see what Sweden does." And so right. I said, "Yeah, we'll we'll have to watch the data because again, I'm not emotionally connected to the outcome." Right. Um, I know <laughs> enough about the inconsistencies and the and the the health inconsistencies that, that I can't wrap my head around. Because everything in, in, a, in a medical model, and I think it all breaks down into philosophy. You know, I'll talk about that in a second. But Sweden specifically, uh, we're watching them, and I think that they had 1,500 deaths, out of, and they had 15,000 cases. So their death rate was 10% of the people that they found and there was some discrepancy about whether it was a success or not. And, and people on the outside are saying that's a terrible statistic because that's 10% of the people dying. Right. And they had said, they said, you know, we, did a, we didn't do a good job at protecting our, our elderly. We could do a better job. He said, but for the long haul, we are up and about. We are... Um, we, we considered a success because we didn't close our country down and we didn't have all the other collateral damage that would be much, much more than 1500 deaths because of suicide rates, you know, um, right. financial um, concerns and everything else. Um, when you're talking about the, you know, Bill Gates and the way we're handling this, I always find it down, we can break it down, break it, break it down. It, it actually comes down to a, a philosophy. And, um, and it comes down to a, a basic philosophy once we kind of peel all the layers back. And we did this on um, a friend of mine, really well-known naturopath. We had him on a couple episodes ago talking about this problem. And he said, this problem actually started 200 years ago with uh, Camp, uh, Antonio Camp, And um, it was right around when 
they were coming up with the germ theory that you know invisible squigglies get on you and they cause germ and they cause sickness where the opposite theory is a weak cell will allow sickness to grow and ultimately because i'm a dirty hippie tree hugger chiropractor functional medicine guy we don't right you know the family we don't do medications we don't do vaccinations we don't do um we're, we're not in the medical model Me and people always say you don't like medicine i said i love medicine because medicine saves lives every day in acute situations talent that i don't have i wouldn't want that on anybody and i think this is a wonderful place to get it because if i'm hit by a train a bus i come down with a debilitating illness my brother up because you guys are doing good but they have no sense in um they have nothing to do with health they can they only have things with disease and when we take a, a disease model and we try to apply it to health this is where um we break down and right. this this goes it's you know, 80% of the drugs taken right now are taken or called lifestyle drugs. And it's just like, you take them all the time. Well, I have, I have, uh, you know, reflux and heartburn. Well, here you, you take this. Well, how long do I take it? Well, take it forever or take it whenever you get the symptom and they're forgetting about the cause. And I think the global vaccination stuff is the same thought process, Well, we have to stop the bug from getting us. So we're looking for a magic pill that we can give everybody to keep the world, the natural world away from us. And that's the same thing with the herd immunity. So well, let's hide in our houses so that the, the, the squigglies don't. And by the way, I'm sure in, in your, your studies, you know, viruses aren't alive. They, they don't, they don't re, they don't reach the criteria for an, a living thing. They're just a, a bunch of, you know, RNA and information that get on that disrupt our normal systems. So I, I think with all that stuff, then we hear the people that are afraid of the squigglies getting them because they don't understand how the immune system actually works. And they're so bent on having, I need to take something to protect me. And it, it's, it goes deeper down to a philosophy and a mindset. Right. Well, and again, I, you know, that is my um, kind of perspective too, but just to kind of play devil's advocate, I went and researched multiple different doctors, multiple different viewpoints on how the best, on the best way to treat this. Um, I watched personal interviews. And again, it's so interesting that people don't do this. Um, you know, I probably watched one, two, three, four, five, maybe six or seven different doctors talking about like how they would treat this or how they've treated, you know, I watched multiple doctors that have actually currently treated patients with this virus, you know, with the virus. Um, so I, I got very clear within myself on what needs to be done to be safe with this virus and what it, what it landed on was the immune system and that, you know, and we could go into all the different opinions about the best way to, you know, but, but basically what I needed to know is, are my son and I at risk? Um, I was able to identify that we're not, you know, then I thought about the, you know, my family members and my friends, I thought about the people in my life that are high risk. Um, you know, what, how would, you know, what, what 
kind of what's my kind of two cents for them. You know, my mom is 72. She's very healthy, 73. She's very healthy, but she's in that kind of higher, you know, um, bracket. So we talked, we've talked to her about, you know, what measures is she willing to take to protect herself if she hasn't already been exposed. Again, I believe it already came through California. Um, and when you watch, I want to point out that when you, one of the reasons I, I have a whole list, you know, we probably don't have time to get into it now, but anyone's welcome to go to my web or my Facebook wall and read, you know, you know, why I took my son and I off quarantine, but I based it on data. Um, and one of the, um, factoids was that I think now I have seven experts, epidemiologists or biologists or virologists, all of who all of whom say the same exact thing. So I'm looking for the pattern. These are all people who don't know each other. They're all saying the same thing about this particular virus, which is that it, um, they've studied, so here's an interesting little factoid. <clears throat> I don't know if people know this, but apparently all of the countries around the world, when it comes to things like this, like a, like a pandemic, they take all of their data and they all put it into a database, okay, and then any scientist can go look at the data and study the data. So multiple of these experts that I'm referring to, which I will share any of this data with you and you can share it with whoever, I have it all linked and you know anyone can have access to anything I'm talking about, videos or anything. Um, a lot of these scientists, epidemiologists, biologists, virologists, they're using the data from around the world, the actual data of this virus, and they all say the same thing that the virus peaks at about six weeks and it dies off at about eight weeks. It does not exponentially spread forever. Yes. You know, it's, yes. it doesn't go on and on and on and on. And apparently it follows the pattern of a typical uh, respiratory virus. Now that could have likely not been the case. I mean, it could have been that this virus had a weird, had its own behavior and it just did go and infect millions. But now we know the data and that's what I'm keep trying to, you know, that's my point is again, nothing either. We have nothing to fear. Um, people are, a lot of people are still in that amygdala hijack from like eight weeks ago. Like they're, they're stuck on that initial millions could die. You must be terrified. Yes. Be afraid of the, of the, of the germs. The boogeyman's going to get you. And I understand that maybe that feeling on like day one or two or week one or two, but the minute the data started to roll in, so just to be clear, there's enough antibody studies now to show that the actual flu, excuse me, the actual fatality rate of COVID is around 0.1 to maybe 0.5%. And that may not mean anything to anybody, but the, the typical flu fatality rate is 0.1. So, and this is straight from the data, you know, like this isn't anything you have to work very hard to find. I am, like I said, I'm just a single mom who I'm really good at research. And so... I have like, and all of these antibody studies, I have them all organized. I'll be posting these within the, probably the next couple of days on my Facebook wall with all of the articles linked. And if one article's wrong, you could go to the next study. And if you think the next study's wrong, you can go to the next study. And of course we have to take into account margin of error. Of course we have to take into account, all the numbers are a little bit sloppy, but when you have, and we're talking antibody studies from Boston, from New York, from California, USC, Stanford did one in Santa Clara, we have one in Sweden, we have one in Norway, we have one in Denmark, we have one in um, oh, Colorado, I mean, they're Massachusetts, they, they've, they've tested pregnant women, they've tested home, a homeless shelter, they've tested, 
I mean, one town in Italy tested their entire town. And what they found was incredible infection rates to orders of magnitude higher than what they thought. There was a town in Italy that had, I think, 30% of their town was already infected asymptomatically and had the antibodies. So this is not information. That's what's so weird. And again, Dr. Bell, I'm not trying to, if anybody's listening to this, you know, they're going to, again, they're having cognitive dissonance. Most of your people probably, this is not going to shock them because, you know, they probably. Uh, our, our people are, they're, they're looking for, and I encourage it to, is, is actually go and try to find something that's contradictory because if, if you have somebody just bringing in data, maybe excuse it maybe again this is not about um being right it's about being better so um whatever it is but i have i i was thinking the other day are there any tests like in amish communities right have you have you have you run across any of those i, I haven't i haven't you know dr Witowski did a second interview that i watched last night i tend to watch these all like I'm up at three in the morning. I think I went to bed at like three or four in the morning last night. Um, he, Witowski did another interview where he said, yeah, you know, his last interview was three weeks ago. Um, where, and then he, now today he's like, well, it just, the data is more data is in, it's proving more of what he, what he has said, which is this particular virus, the way it behaves is like, a, like a bad flu. It literally behaves like a bad flu. So chance, and it's very widespread all over the United States already. It's very widespread. Again, for anyone who's hearing this and it's like their, their brain's not wrapping around it, it's like the flu in the sense that the flu could be asymptomatic for millions of people. Um, and it can, this apparently spreads pretty easily. I guess they don't know the spread yet. That hasn't been able to be determined, but um, so in answer to your question, I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing, like you said, Amish, if the Amish interact with like the standard public, I'm sure they were exposed. But, but again, this is so different from what we're being told. It requires such a paradigm shift, such a paradigm shift that even I have to continue to immerse myself in the data because when I go back onto social media, it is literally like we're talking, I'm talking to people from Mars the cognitive dissonance is so intense there are people who are still terrified in their homes won't leave the house and they do what i call paradigm shaming they just are shredding anybody who thinks maybe we should try to get back to work i mean i have a whole thought you know i could talk for that about that for another hour i want to go i want to just kind of talk about it. so for people listening we're in california uh, the the left part of the country, and um, and taking the data aside because okay, the data is the data that this is um, it's infectious, highly contagious. Very few people are getting sick. Very 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 few people are actually dying unless they have preexisting. So we got that going. So now we're in California, like the rest of the country, but we have. As of this day today, like 1,250-ish deaths in, in our state. Is that about right? I think it went up. It's about 1,800 as of a couple of days ago. I mean, it just, it just jumped this week, but, you know, you never quite know. That's a whole other podcast we could do is the de how they're yeah, well, deaths. So, 
And we have 40 how many million. million people in California? 40? 40 million. Yeah. 40 million. So if you're looking at the death rates in, in California, very, 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 very low. And again, these people that are dying are the sick and elderly and contained. Yep. So no children. All, yeah. Uh, no child. One, one child, no child. I, I forget the, the studies, but yeah. almost non-existent, if existent at all. Yet still, we're on lockdown. Uh, this this is we're, we're just before May first here when we're recording this, and as of yesterday, they started to open up Orange County, which Orange County is right in between Los Angeles County and Riverside County, and they started to open up Orange County, and in Orange County, there's masks are encouraged but not required. In Los Angeles, it's basically locked down pretty pretty tight there, quarantined. In Riverside County, there is uh, it's mandatory if you go out of your house that you that you're masked and gloved and mummied and stuff like that. Which in the beginning, I'm down with. But here's what happened yesterday: is that on the same day that Orange County is opening. Uh, Riverside just came down and said we're having six more weeks. It's like Groundhog Day, six more weeks of uh, lockdown. Right. These counties are next to each other. And other than where people said that here's the county line, you really can't distinguish about this area or that area. So how did the, the bug, the virus, um, how is it so dangerous one foot to my left, but one foot to my right, it's okay. And right. then when we're sitting in, in California, why can I, I can buy pot and get a tattoo as essential businesses, but I can't get a haircut or massage. Right. Um, and None then, of it is. Yeah, this, this is where it gets, it gets strange because now we're no longer talking about data, we're talking about opinions or Actually, I don't know what we're talking about because, again, when we started talking, said I would love to sit down here and have, have the powers that be to sit and say, we're doing this because this reason. But it almost right. seems like they have this giant spinning wheel and say, we're going to open up this and we're going to do that. There's no direction. Have you come across anything that, that is a guideline about when we're opening or why, why somebody should open? Is there any rhyme and reason to it? Am I missing something? No, that's my concern. That's why I'm actually going to Sacramento today. In fact, I'm going to have to wrap it up because I have to hit the road. Um, I'm going to this uh, protest tomorrow, which I've never been that person, but I'm going to go to the, to the protest in Sacramento because the, and uh, you know, the overreach and infringement on our, our rights has gotten, I mean, so, oh, hold on a second. Is that your high CP? Is that your? I see you. I'm... Okay. Yeah, it's gotten so um, completely out of hand that it's not okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very, to me, it's very alarming. It's very alarming. And I wanted to throw in one more, um, one more thought that I've now 
as I, as I was saying, I've documented a totally different set of um, specialists that have all agreed that the lockdown is not even the best way to handle the virus. I mean, multiple experts across multiple fields who do not know each other, they're not getting paid for this. Their encouragement is that we do get out of lockdown as soon as possible um, because actually we have to be able to get exposed, the healthy in, the, in our you know, the, the children, Barnett, like every single one of these experts has said, why in the world did they take the children out of school? And the more that you hear it, the more I've heard it over and over and over again now from, from doing all my research. You know, it, traditionally, I mean, historically, when there's something like this, you protect the vulnerable and the high risk. You quarantine the vulnerable and the high risk. And, you know, one of the, Dr. Witowski actually on the interview last night started crying over the tragedy that America brought the children home who are not risk high risk and didn't properly protect the nursing homes. And he started crying. He said there's been way too much, um, you know, elderly death that could have been prevented had they handled this the way that we normally do. I guess apparently all the epidemiologists know this. And that's why I've been so baffled. Again, I keep going back to like, but Dr. Fauci, Dr. Brooks, they're the experts. I shouldn't be a single mom sitting at home knowing more. I mean, with all the material, I mean, I don't know, you you're can't visually see, but I mean, your people can't see. I have literally stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of data, you know, that I've done in between my, my, my business that I run and raising a son. Um, and I shouldn't be the person who could sit down and educate the president on this. This is, you know, I, I it's, I mean, I should, I can go to the Orange County Board of Supervisors today and give and make a presentation for why they should like immediately end the lockdown. Of well, course, that, that's, that's exactly it. When we talk back down to the to the philosophy, and this is why it, it it turned my head from the beginning because I know a little bit about the immune system, a little bit about bacteria, virology, and uh, naturism, and we we are innately. This is how kids get immune system. They stick things in their mouth, their, their tonsils, right. they, they get exposed to that. They get their buck, uh, gut bacteria going. They get out in the sunshine, they run, they scrape their knees, they right. breathe on each other. They roll in dog poop and throw leaves at each other and they get dirty, they get a little infection. The body goes, okay, I got this. And they make this great big checklist of everything that this person's gonna come in in their environment and right. build a healthy immune system. Every year we have new viruses, new sloughing off, new things like right. that, and they add to the great army that we have that fight us apart. We need our vitamin D, we need to get good exercise, we need to ground, we need to sleep, we need to get all this stuff going to the, and it's the exact opposite of physiology. And this is what drives me a little bit crazy because I'm at, I'm at work and I don't wear a mask. I encourage all the patients that come into my office to take their masks off if they're wearing them. And most of them are going, I don't know why I'm wearing those. And the masks are one thing, but they increase the CO2, which will uh, increase in CO2 is gonna increase your cortisol because that's a sympathetic response that's gonna create a fight or flight, which increases the stress, which is gonna decrease the immune system, all the basic bodily functions that we have to have, and it makes our society sick. So as long as we're in our homes away from people because people are uh, animals, social animals that need to interact, um, 
we have mirror neurons that, that will uh, excite, excite the uh, nervous system of each other. Um, we can build better bodies together. And none of this makes sense by keeping us around. So, you know what? I think we could talk forever and we will. I'm going to be respectful of your time. I'm going to let you go and uh, fight for our rights and make our voices heard. I will be in Huntington tomorrow. That's oh, good. Time, at the same time you're in uh, Sacramento. And um, I want to thank you so much for coming in and just sharing your thought process. So anybody listening to this right now, I wanted uh, to bring Christy on to show the, the process on that. Because you know what? The cool thing is, is this girl could be just totally wrong. The data could be skewed, could be missing a key component. And if you have that key component, bring it to us and your neighbors and somebody yeah. else so that we can get uh, a clear picture of, of what we're doing. And um, I, I, I love the fact that you said, I'm not connected to the outcome, but every piece of evidence that I have is pointing in this direction. Um, and I don't actually want it to be like this. I don't want this power play to be put down. And I have no reason why we're still locked down here in California. Um, yeah. Let's find out. But if there's a reason, let us know. And I'm all on board 100% um, for the, the greater good. And if that greater good is falling in line, I'm there. If the greater good is getting out and educating a little bit people more, and just taking back our rights as a society and as, as we the people, so be that as well. But we have to find out, get all the facts. It's my hope that after all this, we have a, uh, a nice panel discussion where all the data and people are allowed to ask questions so that we have both sides. So if this happens again, because if there's a second wave, of, of this invisible squiggly that um, comes up and, and we are more immunocompromised because of what's happening now. We don't want people saying, see, I told you this was gonna be back. We, everybody needs to get their rights taken away. You know, everybody needs right. action, yada, yada, yada. So right. it's funny, if we know we're gonna get in a fight, let's prepare for it now. And that means right. get adjusted, get your immune system, take your supplements, get out in the sun, kiss your, your, your neighbors, run in dog poop, play with your friends, uh, make sure everything's going just Jim dandy. So anyways, I digress on that. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Bill Janishek on the Conquering Stress Podcast. And uh, until then, like, share, communicate. Peace out. Until next time. Thank you.